morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are and what time it is where you're joining us from. My name is Yoli, and welcome to the St. George's Parktown Podcast. On this Heritage Sunday episode, we have the 16th Sunday after Pentecost sermon by Zuko Koz. I must say that when it comes to preaching about passages that talk about material wealth, it can cause a level of uneasiness and discomfort. After all, this is the reality that we all must confront, that we live in a materialistic world. To have material wealth is to have access to life's necessities. It is a world where personal values is measured by the amount of acquired wealth. Ours is a kind of Egypt where personal success and happiness is measured by the level of material influence. This makes readings such as Timothy 6 challenging. Paul's letter to Timothy teaches us about the meaning of true riches. The author in the scripture describes behavior that provides contentment and makes mention of things which ultimately lead to temptation, such as the love of money, and which we all know can lead to people doing all sorts of things. Secondly, Paul in his letter to Timothy also gives us ethical advice, which he labels as fighting the good fight for the true faith. Throughout Jesus' life, he showed love and compassion and cared for people who are at the bottom of society, namely the poor, sick, outcasts, and those whom some had considered as sinners. Such examples can be seen in the Gospel of Luke, as well as the book of Acts, which contains various stories criticizing the rich. It is important to note that some of these stories display people who rely on their material prosperity and have little ultimate concern of God. This can be seen in passages such as the parable of the rich fool, where Jesus describes the pleasures of a hedonistic person who thinks that his abundant earthly goods will secure his future. However, his insurance turned out to be void as he died on that very night. This goes hand in hand with what Paul says in Timothy 6, that after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave. This verse applies to today's gospel, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. As much as we'd like to spiritualize the story of the rich man and Lazarus, it is difficult to explain away its central message, especially when we have to look at what Luke has to say about money and possessions elsewhere in the gospel. The fate of Lazarus and the rich man, whose name is not known, is very much tied to the experience of wealth and poverty in this life. The readings begin with a reversal after the two men have died. In his lifetime, the rich man ostentatiously displayed his wealth with beautiful clothes and lavish feasts. On the other hand, Lazarus 
was covered with sores to the extent that dogs licked them and was hungry. After his death, Lazarus is carried away to an honored place beside Abraham, God's friend and the father of Israel. By contrast, the rich man finds himself going to the place of the dead. There in torment, he sees Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus beside him. The rich man then asks Abraham to ease his pain in this place of torment. But Abraham responds that it cannot be done. Their fortunes have clearly shifted. In their earthly lifetime, Lazarus suffered bad things and he experienced good things. But now Lazarus is comforted and is in agony. A great chasm now exists between the two, which cannot be crossed. Now, for this parable to work, these two men need to see each other. And when they do, the first thing that you should notice is that the rich man recognizes Lazarus to the extent that he even knows his name. This clearly suggests that he had not been ignorant of the man who had long laid at his gate. The rich man first appeared to be guilty of no more than a sin of omission, a passive failure to address a situation he maybe even did not know about in the first place. But his son starts to look a whole lot more aggressive and active once you realize that he is aware of this man to the point that he knows his name. His knowledge of Lazarus makes us uncomfortable. And now we are forced to wonder how much more we know about the people around us that are in need than we are willing to admit or own up to. The rich man then begs Abraham to send Lazarus to warn his five brothers about this place of torment. In response, Abraham replies that they already have Moses and the prophets to warn them. The man maintains that his brothers will change their way if someone comes to them from the dead. Abraham's response is that if they have not listened to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced by someone being raised from the dead. An allusion perhaps to Jesus' resurrection. The parable centers on the reversal of fortunes that takes place after Lazarus and the rich man die. It links agony or comfort after death with how we treat the less fortunate around us. Much like Matthew links eternal life and punishment with how we treat the hungry, thirsty, strangers, the naked, the sick, and those in prison. This reversal after death is ultimate. An unbridgeable chasm exists between Lazarus at Abraham's side and the rich man in the place of torment. Luke in his gospel stresses the way the status of the rich and poor is reversed in the kingdom of God. When Jesus is conceived in Mary's womb, she exalts that the Lord has filled the hungry with good things 
and sets away the rich with empty hands. In the Sermon in the Plain, Jesus tells the poor that God favors them and that the kingdom of God belongs to them, but warns the rich of what is to come since they've already received their consolation in this life. It is clear from Luke that the poor are the focus in Jesus' ministry. Jesus declares that he has been anointed by the Spirit of God to bring good news to the poor. Jesus further admonishes his followers not to just invite to their parties friends and neighbors who can repay them, but to extend that invitation to the poor, the crippled, the lame, and blind. This is echoed when Jesus describes the kingdom of God as a wedding banquet, where the invitation is extended to the poor, the crippled, the lame, and blind. The parable of the rich man Lazarus might be difficult for many people whose lifestyle stands in sharp contrast with the majority of people in the world who live with much less. It stands as a stinging indictment of not only the confidence we place in financial security, but also the drastic inequities between the rich and poor we allow to perpetuate. God's eternal judgment has everything to do with how we use wealth in this life and whether we attend to the less fortunate in our midst. Scripture paints a grim picture for those whom wealth has become ultimate, the end goal and measure. Paul goes on to further describe greed that leads as a path that leads to destruction, a path we set ourselves upon as we give into temptation. We further our journey down the path when we keep giving in. The danger that Jesus warns about greed is that it is never satisfied until eventually we serve the thing and our desires for it more than we worship and serve the ultimate God. In his final instruction to Timothy, Paul tells Timothy to run from all evil things, to pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, gentleness, but what does godliness look like? Godliness looks like doing good for others, being rich in good deeds done to others, having a reputation of generosity and a willingness to share with others. It is a life that is full of rich blessings in the forms of relationships and a spirit that mirrors the spirit of the ultimate God living in his economy of sharing as there are needs and knowing contentment. Like Jesus himself taught in the Gospels, it is this sort of life that understands every material thing here on earth is fleeting and that the true treasures are stored in heaven as we live rich towards God and his kingdom. True godliness is living a future reality where everyone has what they need, material and immaterial, as part of our present reality.
true godliness is sticking to truth, keeping the faith through word and deed, and seeking the way of Christ for his glory, never our own. As Paul urged Timothy, the life that really is life is found in fleeing from all pursuits that puts others under our thumbs, takes advantage of them, and seeks to improve ours at their cost. The life that really is life is characterized in pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. It is won by fighting the good fight of faith and taking hold and living the eternal life now for all the world to see. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the St. George's Parktown Podcast. Give us feedback by sending a voice note to our WhatsApp line on 076-803-1465.